You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Many of the enemies that we come up against are of the spiritual sort. The enemy will use those experiences. He will use other people, and those other people who may be attacking you aren't even aware of the fact that they're being used by the devil to attack you, but nevertheless they are. You can be sure of that. So the first thing that we need to realize is that many of the attacks, many of our difficulties are of the spiritual sort. Today, Pastor Mike reminds us that the real battle we face is a spiritual one. Consider this. When you feel like you're being attacked by someone, most of the time people just aren't aware that it is the enemy that is stirring them up against you. And when you feel yourself being stirred up against another, Ask the Lord to show you if it is the accuser of the brethren attempting to divide the body of Christ. Sometimes the devil wants you to take the bait and begin to attack in order to destroy your testimony. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 8 as he continues his message, Surrounded and Delivered. he didn't make himself a name. God made him a name. A man of renown. A man of honor. He was honored by all of the kingdoms, all of the other monarchs. And David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. He also put garrisons in Edom, throughout all Edom. Edom, by the way, is located between Judah and Edom. The Valley of Salt is, by the way, is located between Judah and Edom. He also put garrisons in Edom. This is down by the Dead Sea. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. I just love that. You know, put your name in there, right? The war with the Edomites south of the Dead Sea was conducted during the war against the Syrians of Zobah and Damascus. There's probably some collusion between all powers that were involved, because if you look at uh, all of these nations on a map, like, for example, at the back of your Bibles, if you have a Bible atlas, you'll see that these different nations and kings came from four corners of the land of Canaan, from the north, the south, east, and the west. So there was probably some collusion involved here going up against Israel. 
Ahadadizer attempted to cut off supplies from the north. The king of Edom attempted to do the same from the south. But nevertheless, they were not successful, and David triumphed over each one of their attacks. And then finally, here in this chapter, we have a glimpse of the internal administration, the workings, the positions of the nation and government. Okay, so let's read the final verses of chapter 8, verses 15 through 18, and then I'll break that down for you. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. You see, that was his chief concern. And that's why God blessed him. And that's why David prospered. Why? Because it was in David's heart to administer judgment and justice to all of his people. You see, David was truly a good king. Verse 16. Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilid, was the recorder. I'll explain all of these different positions for you. This was sort of like David's cabinet, members of his administration. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priests. Sariah was the scribe. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over both the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief ministers. Okay, so David serves in the capacity of what was referred to back then as the Shabbat. What was the Shabbat? The judge in the tradition of those appointed by Moses to decide matters of dispute. Remember now, the numbers of people who came out of Egypt during the Exodus was astronomical. It has been suggested that there were three million people that were a part of the Exodus. And remember, Moses and his brother Aaron were their leaders. And therefore, they had to resolve all kinds of conflicts and judges. And there were all kinds of different things that came up that had to be dealt with. And Moses was spending all of his time resolving conflicts. So anyway, his father-in-law, and I'm going to ask you to turn there with me, just some background, we have time. In the book of Exodus, in chapter 18, if you just quickly turn there with me, I just want to show you something. In the book of Exodus, in chapter 18, in verses 17 through 26, and Moses' father-in-law offers some really good counsel here. Exodus chapter 18, beginning in verse 17. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. In other words, he's spending all of his time. He was exhausted in resolving these conflicts for the people. Both you and these people, Israel, who are with you, those who made their way out of Egypt that were part of the Exodus, some several million, will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people as the Shabbat, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statues and the laws, and show them the way in which they must walk, and the work that they must do. But moreover, you shall select from all the people 
able men, such as fear God, reverence God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter that they shall bring to you, you know, things that are irreconcilable, okay, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. And so it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. And so some really good counsel that Moses' father-in-law offered. But however, David was the supreme judge of his people. His duties approximated these duties that was borne by Moses. Each tribe had its own judge that was appointed by David. And only matters of great consequence and irreconcilable differences were then referred to David. Now notice, once again, I want to emphasize this, David's desire for righteousness and justice. And that characterized his administration. Again, and, I, and you know what? This should be the fundamental duty of government today, here in the United States of America. You know, I think that David expressed this quite well, and I think he wrote this with this very thing in mind. If you quickly turn with me to the 101st Psalm. I believe David wrote this out of that desire that was within his heart. That is to judge righteously. To seek justice for God's people. In the 101st Psalm, it's a short psalm, let's, let's read it. I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. That is, in the way that he deals with his people as their king. He won't take advantage of his position. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. In other words, it's not going to tolerate that throughout his kingdom. I will not know wickedness. I will not allow wickedness to prosper. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. So do you see that there? That's the very thing that was in David's heart. And so, therefore, as a wise king, David also delegates authority to capable subordinates. Listen, no great leader succeeds by himself. And it's so true. You know, if you find yourself in a leadership position, whether it's in the church or at your places of employment or whatever, enlist the help of capable good, reputable people who are honest. 
It'll serve you well. It'll enable you to accomplish great things, to be able to succeed in every endeavor. So David assembled this group. Not only did he assemble them, he maintained them, he trained them as part of his team. Now, who were the members of that team? Well, first of all, notice we are introduced to, in this list, Joab. Who's Joab? Well, we've already been introduced to Joab. Joab was David's general. He was over the army. So in other words, he served as David's secretary of defense. That would be the equivalent of our secretary of defense today. This is the same Joab who killed Abner, who was Israel's leader, remember? During the time when the nation of Israel had been divided into two parts, the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south. He was Saul's general. Then in our list, we are introduced to Jehoshaphat, who was the recorder, or rather the official historian. He was the keeper of all state records. The equivalent of like today's librarian of Congress. And he would also be responsible for keeping the king informed about important matters, as well as of visiting dignitaries. He would also be the royal herald. That is, he communicated the commands of the king to those who were to carry them out. So that's who Jehoshaphat was. And then notice also in verse 17, you have the religious leaders. You have Zedek and Ahimelech, and they were to oversee the centers of worship. And there were various centers of worship located in Gibeon and Shiloh and Nob and all of the different administrations at those locations. There were those who served in the central sanctuary, others as porters, others as singers, musicians, teachers, judges, prophets. And then you have uh, Sariah, notice there in verse 17, is David's secretary, the equivalent of that today in our uh, United States of America uh, administration would be the Secretary of State. And then you have Benaiah, who is the captain of David's bodyguards. Now this was very wise on David's part. Notice the reference to the Cherethites and the uh, Pelethites there in verse 18. Who were these guys? These weren't Israelis. These weren't Hebrews. They may have been Cretans, people from Gath, who had settled in southern Canaan. They were hired soldiers by David. They were his foreign guards. And their responsibility was to ensure the safety of the king. Now, why did David employ these individuals and not Hebrews? Well, you see, these guys would be more reliable and less open to court intrigue, you know, they wouldn't have any hidden agenda as would possibly the Hebrews would, because Hebrews would maybe be inclined to place tribal loyalties above their devotion to their king. So this was a very wise move on David's part. And then finally in verse 18, we are told of David's sons who became chief ministers. Notice there. This would refer to governmental positions, cabinet members, ministers. Now, this was a good thing. David did not allow his children to be reared in luxury or idle indifference to the needs of the people. This was also a time of grooming 
keep them growing in their abilities. And in this, they gain hands-on experience. And they learn to govern effectively. So there you have it. All right, now, let's talk about the conclusions. It's almost been sort of like a history lesson, I know, right? We found some spiritual applications, though, haven't we already? I hope we have, right? And I hope that God has already spoken to you and ministered to you. What should we, more than anything else, take away from this chapter? Well, in this chapter, we have seen David beset on all sides by his enemies. And at times, we probably can relate to this from our own experience. He did not know why. Initially, he couldn't make rhyme or reason of these things. All of a sudden, everything seemed to be going wrong. So how was he able to maintain his mental, emotional, and spiritual equilibrium? And it's in times like that where we have that same problem, that same difficulty, right? We allow our hearts to be consumed by fear. We open ourselves up to fear. We're confused. We're in a tizzy. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. So how did David respond? Because you know what? In our experience, we're going to face threats. We're going to face pressures. We're going to face opposition. Relational flare-ups. Oh, they're the worst. Relational flare-ups. You know, people who at one time that we were very close to, and now all of a sudden there's enormous opposition between us. That's one of the major obstacles in our life's experience. So how should we respond to these things? Well, first of all, I want to remind you once again that many of the attacks that we receive, many of the enemies that we come up against are of the spiritual sort. The enemy will use those experiences. He will use other people, and those other people who may be attacking you aren't even aware of the fact that they're being used by the devil to attack you, but nevertheless they are. You can be sure of that. So the first thing that we need to realize is that many of the attacks, many of our difficulties are of the spiritual sort. So then how should we face them? Well, let me give you a cross-reference for this in the book of Ephesians. So that's the first thing that we need to realize. You know, that the, the warfare that we're engaged in is not of the physical sort, but rather of a spiritual sort. Paul put it this way in the book of Ephesians in chapter 6, probably the greatest chapter in all of the Bible that deals with spiritual conflict. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, my brethren, so David is wrapping up his exhortations, be strong in the Lord, not in your own strength, but in the Lord, and in the power of his might. Make your appeal unto him. And that's what David did. Remember, he was up against unsurmountable odds. They were closing in on him from the four corners of the land of Canaan, from the north, the south, the east, and the west. He was outgunned. He was outmanned. In the power of God's might, put on the whole armor of God. In other words, use all of the resources that God has made available to you. Oh yes, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, have your feet shod with the gospel of peace, the sharp two-edged sword of the word of God. You know, always be in prayer, all of those things. Yes, but use all of the resources. Stay in the word, the word of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Because you know what? If you don't have the whole armor of God on, the enemy knows where to penetrate. Like say, for example, 
You might have the breastplate of righteousness on, but the enemy isn't going to attack you at your breast or in your heart to protect your heart. He's going to come and he's going to hit you in the head, in your brain. Why? Because you don't have the helmet of salvation on to protect that part of your being, you see. We need to have the whole armor of God on that you may be able to stand against the wilds. Notice, that's a formidable enemy, the wilds of the devil. And then finally in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And listen, one of the most powerful resources and weaponry that God has made available to us is prayer. Let me give you a cross-reference. In the 60th Psalm, in verse 5, the 60th Psalm, in verse 5, that your beloved may be delivered, now this is David praying, that your beloved, that's the way he refers to himself, I guess he's reminding God, hey God, this is your beloved, you know, crying out to you. Remember, your beloved, and you know, we've been made the beloved, right? In Christ that your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand and hear me. And so that's what we need to do. We need to pray. We need to, first of all, remember that our warfare is of the spiritual sort. We need to use all of the resources that God has made available to us. And then thirdly, we need to remember God's purpose, God's plan. And God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of you. What was God's purpose and God's plan for David, the nation of Israel? To possess all of the land. God has a very specific plan and purpose for all of you. And he wants you to be able to realize that plan. So hang on to that truth. You know, when it seems like things are interfering with that coming to fruition, hey, listen, just slip it on over to the Lord. Hey, God, it's your beloved. Remember, there's a plan and a purpose. There's a plan for my life. Always remind yourself of that plan, of that purpose. And lastly, don't put your confidence in human resources or alliances. Don't go anywhere else. Don't turn to anyone else. Let me give you the final cross-reference. In the 60th Psalm, in verse 12, through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall thread down our enemies. And you know, as it relates to God's purpose and plan for your lives, I think uh, God put it best when in the book of Jeremiah, and I'll close with this, in chapter 29 and verse 11. There God said through the prophet, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Now these are the thoughts that God is thinking towards every one of you. Sayeth the Lord, your thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope that is an expected end. Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for tuning in. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. 
We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. And we're praying for you. Thanks again for joining us today. And we look forward to our continuing study of 2 Samuel next time, right here on In My Father's House. There's a place for